0: Hi, Stan. Hey, Marshall. Let's podcast. Let's do it. It's called draftsman All right. Yeah.
1: Haven't seen you in a while. What you been up to?
0: Um, a lot of things. I've been prepping for the conventions. Uh-huh. Well, we did Comic-Con. Yeah. A few months ago. That yep. was really cool. I recorded a lot of people. We've been releasing some videos Mm -hmm. of me interviewing people. Yeah. Um, I've been preparing for Lightbox and CTN. By the time this episode comes out though, I would have already been at Lightbox. Okay. I believe. You're getting ready for that. We're getting ready for that. Good. What
1: have you been up to, Marshall? I've been teaching. We did a draftsmanship boot camp in Orange County at Cura Studios that went really well. It was two days of six hours of lots of exercises. I taught a lot during it too, but there was a lot of pencil and pen time. It was sold out, right? uh, Yeah, it was sold out and and a few people came there because of this podcast. Oh, really? We had one student who came two weekends uh, from Colorado. Uh Knowing about it from this podcast. So, this podcast has been something that's been important in my life It's bringing students who make pilgrimages. Pilgrim- they are actually traveling to study which I think is a good thing. I think that when you make it so that it's an actual set the time aside, book the hotel room, do the traveling, that it somehow enhances the seriousness of it. I've had some of my most significant. Uh, educational times, like a week at a retreat, yeah, because everything else was set aside. to yeah, go you into another world. yeah, have you done that? Have you had pilgrimages that were important to you? Yeah,
0: I went on a plain air road, road trip. Oh, really with a friend. How long yeah, we uh, let's see we, we did a it was a full day. How long did it take to drive up the coast to San Francisco? Oh, it takes a pretty much
1: run. a day, yeah
0: a day. Yeah, I think it took longer than a day though because we would stop when we see something we would stop and go out and paint.
1: Okay, yeah. It would yeah. take longer than a day. Yeah,
0: <laughs> Take long, yeah. We would paint for like an hour or two. When did you do this? Oh man, this was like maybe six years ago, uh-huh. five or six years ago. Be- well, we were going to Monterey actually because there was the plein air convention that, in mm-hmm. Monterey that year and so we We did a road trip and then we stopped there and then we stayed in Monterey for like five days and painted a bunch there. Mm -hmm. That was cool. I've
1: always wondered how, I love the California coast and just the whole west coast all the way up Oregon and Washington so much, I thought about how nice it would be to do a summer of a road trip all the way along up the beaches and every town that you stop in that has an art teacher or a studio that you'd go there and you'd study with that.
0: well, that's that a start? lot, though. It would
1: be a lot, I know. But it was just a fantasy. <laughs> I was just dreaming. Okay. Maybe. Cool. Okay. Nice. What are we going to talk about today? You bring it up. I'm the one who got it. Okay. I think we're going to respond. This one touched a little button.
0: Uh oh. It's just not. Let's not press not, some little buttons.
1: Yeah. Uh, I love these podcasts. This from Stan opened a Pandora's box. Stan, quote, I feel there's no point in learning history because dot 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 unquote. Maybe I should ha- let you say that. You want to go ahead and say that I feel no
0: That's a bad quote. I mean that is a quote, but then I did say more after You did. That. The dot dot dot. yeah <laughs> The dot 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 is important. I acknowledged that studying history is important. You did. But, th- <laughs> and but that this I this d- don't do it very th- much, but I should. Continue. You've already repented. Yes. <laughs> Sorry,
1: am I being defensive? Marshall pulled you up on that in his usual very kind way, but this is a huge problem with millennials and (laughs) trying to teach millennials their lack of reverence for the history of the field they are studying, exclamation point, there's underscores in between each word.
0: Holy crap. And then there's two exclamation
1: points and there's underscores in between the exclamation points. Is
0: this the episode where we just rip on commenters? I feel like we should have a big air horn at the end of that. (laughs) (laughs) Wow, Uh, well I got a problem with baby boomers. Yeah, this can turn into the, <laughs> the whole generation, the whole generation. Every single
1: person. Started the Vietnam War and <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, the first thing I want to address about this, it, you know, I do understand this, this is someone who is a teacher Uh-huh. and I'm going to tell you my suspicion. Uh-huh. This is someone who is a teacher who is teaching in a university or in a place where students come in and they have to study.
0: Oh, okay. It's probably a bad school. Well, let's not go that far,
1: <laughs> okay. let's, let's just say. Because paper chasers, it's easy to make fun of paper. Paper chasers are people that they just don't care that much about the subject. They care about getting that piece of paper at the end. This class is a notch on my belt. This degree is going to prove that I have the badge. And so, it lends itself to an energy that says, what's the minimum I have to do? And so, when you're hoping to make a connection of enthusiasm and love of the craft with a person where that's their energy is, it's, 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 it's a tough fit. So I do want to, since I'm so old, mm-hmm. in defense of millennials, I am around a number of millennials who care deeply about history. In fact, some of them know it better than I do. Some of them know Sean. that... Uh, Sean is an example. Yeah, Sean knows all sorts of things about you, any subject you bring up. Well, he it seems like he's, an, he's an endless well of it. With music history, I've got some students that know old blues. Uh, they they they've just they know the chronology. I've got a number of students who know the numbers of the Beatles albums as they came out, the order they came out, and the years that they came out better than I do. And I remember the years that they came out. So there's that is that uh, stereotyping millennials is one thing that we have to watch out for because uh, it just goes back and forth stereotyping millennials, stereotyping boomers, I don't know what the Gen X is and I don't know what the next one is but you got this category, you happen to be born in a certain year therefore, you've got these qualities. You may have had enough bad experiences as I have had too that just a lot of students that go through the colleges, they want to do the minimum. So, there's the first thing The people who do love it, let's focus on them. The people who who care about history, uh, one of the reasons they care about it is because once you open up the Pandora's box of what happened before all of the wave of the stuff that's going now, there's almost always something that gets people excited. I saw it with the online students back in 2010 through 2012. As soon as they discovered Bouguereau, as soon as they discovered, uh, there's that Solomon uh, guy, I don't know if you know his paintings, Um, a a number of the pre-Raphaelites and I know that there are people who hate the pre-Raphaelites but forget about that. The pre-Raphaelites for craft, these are young students who care about the craft of painting, they discover the pre-Raphaelites, they go crazy for it and then they collect it all and then they examine it and then they find out that some of these artists were better at this and some were better at that and some of them had their career uh, cut short and they're just off and running with the kind of energy that a kid has when they're interested in something. So I am very big on history but I am also not big on trying to get people interested in history. You yeah. just aren't that interested.
0: <laughs> oh man, <laughs> where do I start, Marshall? You start wherever you want to. because I'll I, I've continue got a few about something you said. So he is pointing out that he, you know, he said that millennials are not interested in history. And if you're going to play that game where you blame a generation for something, let's start with your own, and maybe consider that maybe your generation sucks at teaching history. <laughs> Yeah, but, I'm not uh, going to play that game though yeah, yeah. because also, I don't
1: think that's true. He might not have been saying, what he was saying is I, because I think he's a teacher, Yeah, I think that he's found it frustrating that I get put into a room with all of these nitwits that could care less about the thing I care w- about and so, there. that's where that kind of thing comes from. Well,
0: I he did say that it was
1: Millennials. He did. A problem with teaching Millennials is the history of the <laughs> craft yeah. that
0: I know that I was taught history in a way that would make me hate history. It was a bunch of, it's a series of facts. What a shame. Yeah, I don't love it because I never enjoyed, I, I never had a teacher who had a passion for it and taught it well. Um, I was lucky in other fields, art, I had really good art teachers but I was not very lucky as far as having a good history teacher. Mm-hmm. So, every generation has. Bad history teachers, good history teachers, people who are interested in history and people who are not interested in history. So Stop stereotyping millions of people into one group. Okay. Not you. I won't do it. (laughs) Everybody. everybody Everyone just stop. There is
1: one stereotype that is true and that is that every human being stereotypes. You can't keep from it. It's just a way, it's a way to survive every, by being efficient. Every? every human being.
0: But still, stop.
1: <laughs> Unless it's for fun. Oh, yeah. It can oh, be, yeah, it can, yeah. Be, it can a joke yeah. and you just... It, when it's in affection, it's great. <laughs> yes. Okay. Cool. So, we, the, the stereotyping is one thing we have to get beyond.
0: Yeah, is we're not the, lazy and entitled and yeah. all that other crap. Yeah. I'm always preaching against laziness.
1: Yeah. I know you are. When I've heard some people that have stereotyped millennials as entitled and I thought, well, what about Stan? What about my son? What about some of these millennials that I know that are some of the hardest working, most forwardly ambitious, most proactive people that are in my life personally and I'd say that most of the most proactive and uh, heading towards success people that are in my life personally are millennials. So, I'm not really contaminated with that stereotype uh, and I, I might have been if I was putting more attention into what you sometimes have to when you're a teacher in a classroom. Okay, but we already said that. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah that, I want to keep going. Just yeah, keep bashing this guy's comments. Yeah, yeah. We've got to move on beyond the stereotype uh, stereotyping. <laughs> All thing. right. Let's take the core of this topic not the stereotyping but the people who are not that interested in history. Right. Uh, Art students, maybe they're ambitious but they're just saying, hey, you know, I I don't need to know about what happened in the history of my craft. Let's, Let's start out with something that might be a surprise. It's not necessary to know the history of your craft to succeed financially. The proof of this, I don't know that much about Justin Bieber. I don't know that knowing more of the history would have made him more of a Sensation, uh, because it's oh. not necessary, and there are many other stories like that of people who don't know. I mean, even the the Beatles sang a song. I don't know what was their original song, but it was uh, "Roll Over, Beethoven." So it's like there's just this this young, defiant, shake your fist energy of history, and you're yeah. still going to do very well. I had a teacher, Graham Booth, who taught type design, and he had us understanding the difference between serifs and, and, and uh, sans serif type. He had us do a lot of hand lettering of type. He even had us take another class where we had to slug type out of lead and cast it and understand what happened in print shops historically. And he felt that this will make you a better designer. He wasn't just old school, he also was an innovator when the computer started to change graphic design, he was right there on the forefront of it. But I admired that because he had this long reach back into the past and he was also very forward-oriented. Forward Robert Beverly Hale also wrote the I uh, think Encyclopedia Britannica, it might have been, Entry on Drawing.
0: Oh, I thought he you had, said he wrote the Encyclopedia. He,
1: he wrote the Entry on Drawing and it was... He has a tremendous respect for the old masters and the old craft and he also had, I'm told, a tremendous respect for what happened in the 20th century and the disassembling of it. There's something about that broad view that's nice but I want to get back to uh, Graham Booth. Uh, Some of the best type designers don't know or really care that much about all of the technical evolution of how type changed. They just love shapes. They love how you can go thick and thin and make little curly cues on the end of that. I don't know how much Rick Griffin knew about the history of type. He may or may not have but I do know that he was endlessly inventive when it came to playing around with letter forms. So knowing history is valuable. But I would not say that it's a game changer, I would not say that it's necessary, I'd say that it's something that uh, we will we'll deal with
0: what it is. Go yeah, ahead, I mean, and I don't take, th- take from this. My own personal story, I mean, I don't, I, I think that I'm relatively successful right now in my, in my career and I don't know much history. <laughs> Sometimes ignorance can be good because it like, if I put more my attention on learning history, it might have taken some of my attention away from just learning just the pure science behind drawing and painting. Mm-hmm. I, I was ultra focused on that and had no focus on the history.
1: Knowledge can it, be burdensome too. Yeah. It can slow you down because you to have to think through too many options. Yeah. But there may be a reason that we're born not knowing history <laughs> and that we're going to get it in bits yeah. and pieces. Now, I've got a question for you, what, interest, what makes you interested in anything historical?
0: Usually st- stories. Like well, (laughs) history. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Like when it becomes human, and there's an actual a story to it, and an an experience you can learn from. That's what I like, and I know that's the proper way to learn history. That we've we've talked about this, Mm -hmm. but when it's a series of facts and names to remember, that's when I don't like it. And um, when I talk to a lot of people who know a lot about art history, the conversation becomes that exactly that. It's not stories. It's name dropping. And it just, it pushes me away. Mm-hmm. There's there
1: I think is a hunger that naturally leads children do it. You know uh-huh. they tell me about tell me about what happened uh, with Grandpa. Uh, tell me about wh- what it was like when you were a kid. Yeah. They are naturally wanting to know the difference between now and then. And those things you can't keep that from happening. They will get curious. And I think the same thing happens in our artistic development that there comes a point where we want to know this is so hard for me. Was it hard for people before me? Uh, this is uh, this is enjoyable but there's something that I'm wondering whether I could get away with doing this. Is there anyone who has done that before? That's where history becomes relevant mm-hmm. because it's sort of like if if knowledge is like food, you don't want to just take in all of this food and not have any hunger for it. You usually have hunger for it because you want to do something so I need something that will nurture me and strengthen me to do it. And that's where the, uh, the study of history becomes a joy. Yeah. And reading biographies, I think if you're going into any profession, isn't it satisfying to look at the people who've done the best in their profession and read how their career changes happen, how they had disadvantages that yeah, made them absolutely. rise to the occasion.
0: I mean, I told you how I was listening to a lot of uh, interviews from Mixergy. Mixergy. Yeah. And that that's kind of history. I mean, it it's is. not that long ago, but it's right. history of successful companies from, you know, a generation ago and, yeah. and how they did it, and you can learn from that. And I really enjoy that. I read um, Elon Musk's biography and I really enjoyed that. Mm-hmm. So, like when I can relate it and I can learn from it, I really enjoy it. Yeah. It gives you context.
1: It lets you see where you are. It's like when you live someplace and you say I want to pull the map back and see where I live in relationship to other places. That can be satisfying in its own right. But there's another thing that it gives. It gives ideas. When you look at the old stuff and you see how tame or how wild or how different it was then things are now it can to the creative observer and to the creative producer stimulate things that you would never do by just looking at what's going on right now. And you're right, history as story is the great secret. That's why the best popular historian to me right now is Ken Burns. I mean, I didn't discover him till 1990. And I've only seen an, uh, a, maybe a third of the documentaries he's done. But he is one of the best storytellers I know. And some people don't like his stuff because it goes slowly but that's because they won't sit and give it 100% attention. Those documentaries are just great. He always finds a story and he always brings it around to, to the human condition and what it's like to live in a human body and be in life. Civil War is a great one to start with, I've already mentioned it. But just the first episode of the Civil War will have you, if, if you aren't moved by the first episode of the Civil War by Ken Burns, 1989, then don't bother with the rest of his stuff. But if you are moved by it, then you might go to the West. I just watched his one on the history of radio, uh, an empire of the, uh, of the air, empire of the air, which is, I, it was just great. So, history is a treasure chest. Yeah. You can keep digging into it. And the more you dig into it, especially of the last hundred years because so much of it's been documented it last 200 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, but even before that, you start going back thousand and thousands of years and we've still got writings of them and you start to put together all the curiosity that it can arouse. It's just it, it's, it's worth a lifetime.
0: Yeah. Have you listened to Dan Carlin's No, podcast? I don't know it. What is it? Uh, Sean and, and my brother recommended it to me. Um, they're extremely long. Um, Hardcore histories. Hardcore history, right? Um, I've li- I've listened to a very small portion of it, but I, I went through the whole one about uh, I believe it was World War One, I. but I, yeah, I really enjoyed it. It was like ten hours or maybe even more. Yeah, a about. lot of those can they're go on. Ex- they're, they're extremely like in long, three-hour chunks. But he's so good at telling the story and getting you in the um, in the feeling like you're part of that world. Yeah. Uh, that it, yeah, it's just, it, it's almost like just watching a show on Netflix or something, mm-hmm. you know. But it's real. Mm-hmm. It's, it's true. So, yeah. Well, there's a, another He's thing a that,
1: it, that it prompts is that it prompts appreciation. I find that even in that, uh, whatever it was, 10 hours or so, 10 or 12 hours of looking back at the American West, every time I would step out of my house, everywhere I would walk around in Southern California, I would look around at it and recognize there were no refrigerators. There was no running water. There was, there was none of the stuff that I have and it gave me a, a context for appreciation of how much I've got access to now mm-hmm. that all through human history people haven't. People didn't have access to podcasts <laughs> all through human history. In 19 or excuse me, about 2004, I went to uh, another Robert McKee Uh, four-day seminar of his story workshop which I'd gone to many times before. This was back when he used to hang around and smoke cigarettes with the students at the breaks. And I came into one of his conversations with several people that I wasn't in on the first part and I picked up in a moment that they were trashing James Cameron's Titanic. Mm -hmm. Whining about it for this and this and the stereotypes and can you believe that? And there were a number of them that were all in agreement. And there was a pause. And often what happens when people uh, speak negatively about something, you recognize how much time you've spent negatively about something and it's time to pay it a compliment. And McKee took a puff on a cigarette and said, yeah, but you got to hand it to Cameron. He was the one that saw what this culture needed in a poor little rich girl story. And then one of the other people said, yeah, it hadn't happened since and then they named a one of these poor little women. Oh, yeah. And before that was... So, this was a group of people who knew the history of the genre of poor little rich girl stories and how important those are to girls who... Whatever their problems are, they want to see what it's like in the life of a really rich girl and say she's got the same problems with her mom and her family and her issues that I've got. Mm -hmm. And so, James Cameron, whether he knows history or not, I think he does, but I don't know whether he consciously decided I'm going to make this a poor little rich girl story to scratch a cultural itch or whether his instincts just happened to be right. But the fact is he did it and then put all of that craft into making an impressive movie. So there is another reason for knowing history is that when you are putting your work out into the culture, you are putting it out into a culture, a culture that you are a part of and there will always be historical precedents. There will always be people who've done this before and sometimes their success came about because of that, not that you can necessarily recreate it, the Beatles made a, a, an astonishing, phenom- I remember when it happened and it happened just a few months after President Kennedy had been assassinated and there had been a number of other things that had gone on in, in this country and people were in a state and then when they had something to lock onto, uh, I think it was George Harrison who said, we expected that if we were given a fair hearing that we would be a successful band but we had no idea that we would have touched a nerve the way we did and it just went through the world. So, those those things are at least interesting and they also can be informative, they can be instructive for looking around and figuring what is this culture really need, what yeah. is it that I have to offer, what bugs me, what might be bugging other people yeah. uh, and that, that can, that can uh, influence where we go with what we do.
0: Well, and if you also hear enough stories, you can start seeing overlaps yeah. and patterns happening, and you can learn from those and apply them to your own life. Yeah,
1: biographies. I mean, reading Dr. Yeah. Seuss's biography was very convicting to me. He was he was great as a children's book writer and illustrator. He was terrible as a collaborator, as a filmmaker. He uh, was a control freak. Uh, he. He made people miserable when he tried to work with them, and the thing I got out of that is that when you've got your niche, you may try some other things. But he wasted a lot of time and put himself and other people through a good deal of misery as well, uh, doing things that were he was not fit to do. So that's you just read one person's story whom you've admired a lot, and you're going to spend six to ten hours reading about their life and you look at the pattern and then you look at the lo- pattern of your own life and you say, let's not carry through
0: with that pattern. <laughs> Alright, let's do uh, voicemail. Alrighty. Hi, Proko. My name is Antoine. I follow you from Strasbourg, a lovely city in France. Thank you very much, first of all, for your anatomy courses, they really have helped me a lot. I hear you guys often talk about uh, Riley Method and Loomis. But do you know Bernd Hogart? Uh, what is your opinion about him? He oh, also man. has a constructive approach in drawing and I find his uh, pieces very inspiring. Have you studied these techniques and what are the pros and cons of his approach? Thank you.
1: Should I go or you want to go?
0: I have a pretty quick one, um, I've used his books only to reference other thing and just get minor inspirations from it. Um, I know I used his book on hands a lot just to see how he designs knuckles and tendons. Um, But I feel like a lot of his drawings just don't have bones in them. They're noodle people. I don't like his drawings and it's really difficult to study a book where I don't like the way that they um, design the anatomy. His anatomy might be accurate and you could get information from it but it's like why not just go to Roche and Goldfinger to get that same information. That's my take on it. I know a lot of people love him but I'm not crazy on his drawings. Okay. Want me to go?
1: Yeah. I spent a week with Byrne Hogarth. With him? Yeah. In 1989, I think it was when 1989 turned to 1990, went to spend a week with him at Scottsdale Artist School in Arizona my buddy JD and I went. It was our pilgrimage and it was uh, oh gosh. Hogarth was a character. If you ask around and want Hogarth stories, you will hear many of them. I can do a pretty good impersonation of him but I'm not going to do it right now because I have to get up on my feet and throw chalk. And tell people rah, rah, and yell at them and, and shake fist. Uh, he he was yeah, he was endlessly interesting, but just because he was so keyed up and ticked off and angry and warning students about yelling yeah, in the form of the figure. So
0: <laughs> that's
1: great. But his his book Dynamic Figure Drawing, which is the one that I copied all yeah. the way through. I and it still... it delivers
0: have... on the title. It is extremely dynamic. Yeah. Almost I, too much. I copied all the way through that
1: book but I didn't learn a thing partly because I didn't have a teacher explaining it and if you try to read his books... They are not going to enlighten you, they're probably going to confuse you. I would read those paragraphs multiple times and stop and think, what did I just read? And then read them again and stop and think what I just read and I wore myself out because that was uh, it was the opposite of what I mentioned a few weeks ago about how uh, Jack Hamm and Andrew Loomis and Stephen Peck Mm -hmm. have a spirit of nurturing the student, of gently helping the student. They are, they are a conscientious guide that say, oh, well, you could trip there. Now, watch out. Let's just take your, your foot a little slower there and we'll be okay. And Hogarth does not have that spirit at all. Mm. It's, a, it's a slam down, you know, the gavel has come down and I have, this, this is the way it is. And so, if you don't get it, they are those paragraphs with the exception of Dynamic Light and Shade. Uh, D- Dynamic Light and Shade is easier to read. It's got better text. The other books, It's really, really hard to read. I suggest don't read them. But here is the advantage of Hogarth is that he was such a remarkable draftsman that it occurred to me when he would demonstrate and put lines around things that you you could take an alligator body and you could have him slice through it this way and he'd know the cross section. You could slice through it at an angle. (laughs) <laughs> and he'd know how those things would stretch out. He was just extremely knowledgeable and, and yeah. skilled. But his aesthetic, one woman in my class, I use Hogarth stuff when I teach anatomy. One woman said, I'm sorry that I leave your class so often but every time you show one of those pictures by Bern Hogarth, I start to get physically ill. What? And so, I said, okay, I, I I understand. Wait, what, what is that? Why? Because the aesthetic is that, you know, all, all of these superheroes in these dynamic points, there's an artificiality. Oh, okay, yeah. You see it most in his last one, uh, the dynamic wrinkles and drapery. When you look oh. at those characters that he's got in motion, there is an artificiality in there that is so amped up, it's amped up almost to grotesquerie. Uh, but I don't, I don't trash Hogarth's books because they are great for showing how forms relate, Mm -hmm. simplified forms relate to organic form and even though I don't uh, recommend dynamic anatomy, because it's so artificial, there is something valuable in going through all the muscles of the body and exaggerating them. He turns them into balloons as much as anything else. And what I prefer over Bridgman, even though Bridgman is harder to understand, is Bridgman turns those muscles into rock and he chisels them. Uh, mm-hmm. Hogarth much more like swollen people yeah. on, on steroids. Swollen noodles.
0: Yeah. Noodles have been sitting in soup for too long.
1: Yeah. Well, there's a, if, if, you, if you seek through the internet people's opinions about Hogarth, you will be busy for a long while and you're going to find praise from people that helped a lot. I mean, they, they, it's he, a, he helped me.
0: I, I did reference Hogarth um, in many of my anatomy lessons. Mm-hmm. So, I, you, you know, you can definitely get good information from it. You just got to be careful. Like with, same, I say the same thing about Bridgman. It's like, there's so much good stuff in there but be careful because there's like, there's little booby traps in there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: The pictures can be useful. Yeah. Um And, and then to have, a, uh, to have any peers that are also studying anatomy that can look at it and offer negative feedback. I think I will tell one, I'll tell one story. Uh, it was in this one week that we paid all this money for to do this pilgrimage. Byrne dim- demonstrated and drew the entire time and would then turn and lecture and then go back and turn and lecture and then by day two. He was talking more about politics than he was about anatomy. And by the time we got got to day three, he was on everything about political stuff, about the oil crisis, about how it can wow. be solved, about religion and mysticism and the problems of this and that. <laughs> And one woman, I don't know where she was from, but she had an accent, and she said, "You are great artist, and I have traveled around the world to be with you this week so that I can learn from you. And you do not teach me. You talk about you talk about that." And Byrne looked at her while she was talking, and then he looked at us. And he looked at several of us to see if any of us were going to defend him and we all sat there and we didn't defend him. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, he backed off and he taught beautifully that afternoon. And then the next day, Thursday, he was in pretty good form and somewhere in the afternoon, he started to get off onto something about whatever the president, I don't even remember which president was at the time. And that woman said, legs (laughs) and somebody else said legs and then several of them said legs and he picked up the cue immediately and went right back to what he was talking about which was the anatomy of the leg. I also found that even when he was teaching his (laughs) his, the rhythm as he explained all of these muscles, Mm -hmm. I already knew anatomy at that time but if I was a beginner, I would have been completely lost. Because he was just saying this is the, there's the rectus performance, so that goes from the anterior inferior and that goes into the anterior, shares it with the etc. et cetera. And if you didn't know it. Right. He
0: wasn't teaching it.
1: Right. He was, he was, so, and so I thought the better thing to do, because I was also drawing while he was drawing, I thought this is a better investment of money. Just watch him. Mm-hmm. And I watched how he could put a line on any form and knew it as a cross contour. And when I came away from that. I had a higher standard of what competent draftsmanship was, yeah, also, you know he did he did those tarzans, I don't know if you know, he did some really remarkable comic book work in the mid 20th century. Uh, do you know them? Because you don't no. know history, okay,
0: oh, wow. <laughs>
1: No, let's not go back to that.
0: Oh, you baby boomer. Are you a baby boomer? I am
1: definitely a baby boomer. Okay. Yeah. I was born before the Beatles. Okay. Well, after World War II. <laughs> hey, you know, there's another, let's, uh, there's, I'll bring in just one other thing about history. Another thing right. about studying history is that it sets standards. The standards of historical illustrators in the early part of the 20th century, the standards of the pen and ink illustrators, uh, their standards were so high that to study them, just the bar is higher. And it can make you look at that. So, I think that's what my online students were getting so excited about. They look at all of this painting that's happening today mm-hmm. and then they go back 100, 150, 200 years and they say, can you believe the subtlety? Look at those layers of color. Look at all of that awareness. Look at that, that, uh, that knowledge and skill in that paint. So there's, there's another reason is that the standards in, 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 at this time for artists are not particularly high. There's a lot of exciting stuff. But when you look at when it was tougher to get in,
0: mm-hmm.
1: it can inspire you. Okay. Okay. Now, go ahead. I can tell there's the wheels no. are going on inside your head of trying to figure out let's see what else did the baby boomers do. I was just curious.
0: Do? Well, you said the standards are not high.
1: They elected Reagan.
0: I was like, well, what, what do you mean not high? <laughs> it depends on which field you look at. Okay, go ahead. Right. Well, no, I mean like why, why are the standards lower? In like let's say the f- the fine art world, or in animation, well,
1: I can t- like I can tell like you I can tell you a couple of examples. Okay. Um. Uh, a couple of my colleagues who are illustrators decided that they wanted to get better, and they were going to do a study of hands from Norman Rockwell, Lion Decker, and others. We're just going to do a, I think it was a hand a day, or hand a week, or something. Cool. Uh, they did not carry through with it for that long. But the one thing they came out with is these illustrators' new hands. They were just great at hands. They
0: could have studied Jeremy Lipking's hands and been just as fine.
1: Uh, Yeah, that's because Jeremy Lipking is really good.
0: Yeah, I know. (laughs) They're studying the best of the best of, you know, those generations. I mean, you're comparing our but, world but right now, one. and you may be comparing everyone. But why not just take the best of the best? Let me tell Jeremy you why.
1: Lipking. Let, let me let me tell you why. Uh-huh. Because Jeremy Lipking is now. Yeah, and and this so is good. Everybody is copying Craig Mullins. Everybody is looking at the people who are so hot and happening now and so you get this wake What it happened with Drew Struzan Drew Struzan defined what movie poster illustration could be in the 1980s in, in a major way I mean there was also David Groven and, and others, but he was the main one and so there was this huge industry of
0: illustrators Who were oh. doing second and third rate Drew Struzan. I disagree. I think everybody's studying Sargent and Soroya and Norman Rockwell and Frazetta, you you have a list that everyone studies Uh from the past. It's the same thing as the, you know, you have a small list of now. Okay. The list you mentioned of the people that the hands that they did, those are the same hands that like I did when I studied. Well,
1: that's because you've been in a good environment that digs into history and says, here are some of the
0: best. Yeah, but you're bringing up the point that if it's now, you're studying the same one that everyone else is studying.
1: Uh, Drew Struzan, when I first met him, I asked him a question that he laughed in my face at. I said, what airbrush do you use? <laughs> a technical question. Okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, <laughs> but when, when pressed on this stuff, he said that he learned to draw and I'm quoting him exactly here because I wrote it down, he said, I learned to draw from Rembrandt. Daumier and Pontormo, I learned composition from Cézanne and Degas and I learned color from Monet. So he's got this treasure chest of history and he said, my color will be like that. My line quality will be like Pontormo. My, my layouts will be like, you've got a lot of Michelangelo in there, you got a lot of Mooka in there, you got a lot of Lion Decker in there. He didn't even mention them but I think that part of what contributed to his greatness, I mean, he would have been great in any era I think but I think part of what contributed to it is that he pulled from stuff that wasn't happening now and then consolidated it into stuff that is happening now. When we saw that Alice Cooper album cover. We didn't know that it was Liondecker. He did that Tony Orlando and Don. We didn't know that was a Liondecker style. We just knew it looked cool, and it looked cool in the '70s when nobody knew who Liondecker was. It's just that the aesthetic had established itself, and will never go. Liondecker and Mooka keep coming back. Uh, yeah, Sergeant, keep coming back because they'll never go out of style. Yeah, for not for long. Yeah,
0: I just don't. I I think it's just as useful to study. Masters who are currently living. It is, but our topic just is be- history. I was <laughs> <Come on. laughs> making
1: the argument for digging into the treasure chest and not just looking at the stuffs on the knickknack shelf that you bought this week at IKEA.
0: That's an unfair. Sure, it is, metaphor. but I'm a boomer. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. All right. Well, is that it? Oh, no. We <laughs> we'll leave it at that. <laughs> well, um, do we still have a, what's a thing. Oh we do, that's right. Yeah, we c we got. You, end you go episode, first. I've been Marshall. talking a lot. All right. My thing this week is Jazza's Jazzy Art Box. Jazza's Jazzy Art Box? Yeah. Tell me more. Do you know Jazza? He's the art instructor on, on the internet. Well he doesn't instruct anymore. Oh he doesn't? I didn't know that. Yeah. He does more of like entertainment videos, art entertainment stuff. Mm-hmm. Challenges. Stuff that's really fun to watch. Mm-hmm. I don't think he does. He announced that he doesn't want to teach anymore on YouTube. Okay. So he wants to just explore, I think, creativity and stuff. Um, but he sent me a, uh, an art box of supplies <laughs> so we kind of, this is kind of similar to the the Blackwing thing, you know, if you yeah. send me free stuff, I'm going to open it on the show. <laughs> Do you have it? <laughs> yeah, I have it. Let me go. I actually haven't opened it yet. Is that right? Wow. Alright. Jazz's Jazzy Art Box. And again, I apologize for the listeners (laughs) because I'm about to open a... But listen, listen. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) That was me failing to rip tape. He's got a key. All right. Wow. Oh yeah. So you're supposed to cut out this face, that's Jazza's uh, character, cartoon of himself. Okay. And you're supposed to put it on your face. Yeah. And uh, hashtag him. Okay. Hashtag Jazzy Artbox. Oh, it's got- he wrote- he writes your oh, name in hey. it? Oh, hey! He uh, he's- he included a letter. And he even drew a skull. Yeah, and it says Stan Proko and then Panko in parentheses. I see. And then he drew Skelly and he says, pretty accurate, huh? Yeah. Yeah. Should I read it? Why not? Dear Stan, I can't begin to say how much I love... What the? I'm just kidding, <laughs> that's not what it says. <laughs> no, it says, I can't begin to say how inspired by both your content and the way you run such an awesome business, you are truly trained the next generation of artists to be all that they can be. I hope you enjoy my little gift box and wanted to thank you for many years of learning and inspiration. All the best, my friend. Jos. His name is Josiah. Oh, that's thank that's, you, Jazza, that's Josiah. His name
1: is Josiah.
0: Yeah. Okay. Josiah Brooks.
1: That's nice. That is. That's a nice letter. It's very thank complimentary you. and and true to
0: form. Well, okay. So what's in here? We got. Oh, it looks like it's a list of everything that's in here. We got a bookmark. We got a print. You sure do. And here's the supplies. So I guess he put together these supplies. These this is stuff that he actually uses when he draws. And so he contacted all these suppliers and put together this box. I guess the biggest thing in here that he put together was his own marker set. Hmm. Let's see, he's got his face on it and it's he called, chose these colors. It's called Spectrum? Oh, Illustrator by Spectrum Noir. Spectrum Noir, like a Noir yeah. character. I've never tried these markers so okay. I'm actually excited to test these out, compare them to Copics. Okay. Because I'm working on making a sketchbook, selling a Proco branded sketchbook. Uh-huh. You know, blank pages, not like of my artwork but yeah. and one of those sketchbooks will be with marker paper in it, so. Okay. Testing that out on my paper. All right. A pen. I don't read Japanese. I can't I don't. I'd love to play with that, sure. <laughs> don't know what that is. Yeah, you can start playing with these, Marshall. Why not? This is a Faber-Castell eraser. Very nice. A white ink uniball Yeah, I use pen. Those. Yeah. Oh, you use the you, white uniballs? Yeah. It's on it's, it's toned paper, right?
1: Uh, well, I, when I put washes down with the.
0: Oh, you put them on your washes?
1: Yeah, I put them on after the wash dries, and then you can go in and put little highlights on it. Interesting. It's nice.
0: I use white charcoal, the General's mm-hmm. white charcoal pencil.
1: Yeah, those are convenient.
0: Yeah. I'll, I'll try that out. The, the thing I was actually most excited about yeah. when I watched his video explaining his box was this pencil case. Because. I actually have never had a pencil case that I've really liked. Uh-huh. But this is a pencil case. And it holds something like 12? It holds, <laughs> yeah. it like holds a 12? bunch of pencils. This looks like a good size, it'll fit into a backpack that's thin. My pencil case is it's a box and so it's bulky and it's it's weird to f- put it into a backpack mean. with books in it and stuff. So, I'm, I'm actually kind of excited about this. Pencil okay. Case. 12 colored pencils. What brand? Uh, style. I'm I'm sorry, I don't know what this is. It's a water based Oh, I know what those are. Oh, what are they? It's just a,
1: a marker on the other side and it's a brush on this side. Is it black ink? Uh it looks like this one is black,
0: yeah. Okay. These so it's more closer to like what Kim jong Gi uses where it's just yeah, like it's, India yeah,
1: ink. Except that it's not as soft as a real brush. This is a foam brush. Ah,
0: here. got it. And a sketchbook. This looks nice.
1: Let's see if you can do it. Ah, You need a key, you got one right there to your right, look at, watch this guy go. This guy is...
0: Not succeeding.
1: awesome. Oh
0: no, I just ruined the paper. (laughs) Shit. It's not a generational You're putting too much pressure on me, Marshall. Yeah, I totally just like ripped through the paper. This looks like good paper. Oh, it smells good. Anyway, that and then two pencils. I don't believe there's anything else in here. Thank you so much Jazza. I don't think he's selling these anymore so I don't know the point of me promoting it. Yeah. He's not sponsoring anything, he just sent it to me. He's creating scarcity. Anyone who uh, doesn't know about Jazza yet, no one. This is an historical box. Yeah. Anyway, go follow Jazza on YouTube. He's fun. I watch his stuff. He's one of my rotating YouTubers that I watch. What's your thing? My thing
1: is this documentary which may be hard to find, it's Visions of Light, it is all of the great living cinematographers of that time got in front of the camera although they could assemble for this and they talk about cinematography. It's 90 minutes, it's not meant to be instructive but one of the things that I noticed about it is that all of these great cinematographers know the cinematographers of the past. They know them and they rattle their names off, you know, Billy Bitzer did that or any kind of thing. That was one of the first times that I saw that people who rise to the top of their fields are people who know what happened before them. And this... But you said that's not always true. It's not always true. Well, w- w- would you say that Justin Bieber is at the, at the top of his field?
0: Yeah, he's like one of the top selling musicians of all okay, time. Okay, yeah, okay. Then maybe... <laughs>
1: Now, there's that exception. I mean... <laughs> okay. Yeah. But if we're going to challenge the exceptions, this is going to take me as long as it took you to undo that up box. Yeah. Okay.
0: And, uh, and I, I don't know much about, um, what's her face? T- Taylor Swift. Taylor Swift. I don't know Swift. much about Taylor Swift yeah. but I, I don't think she knows like yeah. a lot about history. It doesn't... I mean, she was so young when she, when she got famous, it's like... Is she a singer? <sighs> yeah. Yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> She's also one of the top-selling musicians, like of all time. Okay, She's yeah, very. High.
1: Yeah, I'm sorry, I didn't know. I'm very ignorant about current events.
0: I, yeah, no, uh, I, I don't necessarily like her music. But uh, I'm just saying. <laughs> anyway,
1: back to visions. Uh, one thing that you'll love about this is that in that 90 minutes, it is filled with so many images of cinematography from the early silent era all the way up to uh, maybe through the 70s or 80s. So the the variety of imagery in here is huge. You've just got color and black and white and deep space and shallow space and it's mostly Hollywood but some European. So it's just a, a very inspiring. This is one of those ones that I have watched over 25 times. Jesus Christ, And s- Marshall, And will variety. continue to. I will continue to watch it. It's, <laughs> it's got so much variety in it that it's worth watching over and over. <sighs> and if you're going to be a storyteller with pictures, anyone who's making pictures, even painters would get a lot out of this. Because you figure what are cinematographers doing? They're making images, they're just using different tools, but they've got the same issues that you're trying to uh, compose something that's yeah. going to evoke an emotion.
0: Yeah.
1: Okay, anyway, visions of light, however you can find it.
0: All right, Marshall. How many uh, stars should they leave on iTunes? Well, you know, (laughs) five. That's a good answer. Yeah, the correct answer. Uh Yeah. Cool. Yeah, leave us five stars. Tell your friends all about us. What should be the YouTube comments? What's an artist in history that nobody talks about that you enjoy?
1: Oh yeah. (laughs) There it is. Who are some? Who are some (laughs) hidden treasures? in art history that we should know about. And let's make, let's make a rule here, it's got to be previous to say 1940, I think. Really? Yeah, yeah. Because otherwise it's like...
0: Like the birth, that's the birthday
1: of the artist. No, no, no. I mean art that was being produced previous to
0: 1940.
1: Yeah, so if they were, oh, uh, art produced. Yeah, yeah. We got to go back to the stuff that is, is genuinely Damn. removed from us by a, a generation or two. Two generation.
0: I don't know. I mean, there's maybe people producing in 1950s and 60s who Go we d- have no idea about. Go ahead and correct this. What should we? What should the cutoff be? <laughs> I don't be? know. I think, I think anything from 30 years ago and beyond is fine. <laughs> Because it doesn't matter when it was made. It was, it's just a hidden treasure. It's, the point is no one knows about it. Who cares
1: when it was made, Marshall? The, the point is we're trying to dig into the unknown treasures of history that have 30 been Thirty years ago t- is part
0: of history. Why, uh, why are you discriminating against people who are currently alive? It's... If they're not known but they are worth knowing... I want to hear about it. You are trying to press me to make some
1: outrageous and irresponsible statement like if it's done by an artist who's still living, it can't be good and I will not say that.
0: You're so racist. Whoa. (laughs) This episode should have ended so long ago. It should have ended
1: half an hour ago. (laughs) Okay, yay, we're done. All right, Everyone can, can be relieved. Bye everybody. Yeah.